We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. IB Nation, welcome back to the Irish Breakdown Podcast, live here on a Monday, which means, of course, it is Monday, Notre Dame football mailbag time. Folks, there we have a ton of questions already in the chat. If it's your first time with us, put an MB before the question or a mailbag before the question, and we can easily distinguish what is the question you want to guide us with, what is general chatter in the chat. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We're excited to get started here. It's going to be an eventful week, as it always is. A lot of hustle and bustle here in the Notre Dame football landscape, but Brian Driscoll joining me, of course. I'm Ryan Robertson. We are excited for you all to lead this conversation, the, the best best show of the week, in my opinion, because the listeners, the fans, the chat members, you guys can tell us what you want to talk about, and it goes beyond the centric of Notre Dame football, Notre Dame recruiting. We can talk some college football. We can talk aliens at points. We, we talk no, we're not. No, podcasts. we're not. No, we're not. We're, we're not going to be talking about that. <laughs> but i'm ready to rock and roll ryan it's going to be a lot yes. of fun man i feel like i haven't done a show with you in forever uh-huh. even though it was what actually Friday? it's been a week oh, as you know uh wednesday wait it, no wednesday? no because you did one with sean on wednesday so literally oh, the last yeah. time you and i did a show together yeah. it was last week's mailbag so it does kind of feel it has been a while man so let's oh, yeah. get this thing rocking and rolling man and a little yes, president's day mailbag so i don't know who's home today mm-hmm. or who's not so we're gonna have some fun today man we're gonna have some fun all right we got Ida Benami, a uh a great member of the chat who always brings great questions have you guys seen the marcus freeman interview with lou is, is it nanny is that a nanny yeah nanny i think so it's nanny yeah Marcus Freeman is a good, good man. Do you think the university is paying up, making moves, and supporting coach because of the person he is, and they believe in him? 
you know, we, we actually did talk about this during our show on Saturday, Iden, is that, yes, that is part of it. That, that, that is part of the fact that he's a good representative of the university. If, if, the st- if they didn't believe in him as a football coach, however, I don't care how good of a decent man he was. Ty, Ty Willingham, from, from everything I've ever told, was a, was a well-liked person. He was a good man. He was a decent man. He cared about the players going to class, bettering themselves, getting their education. He cared yeah. about all those things, which are important. He wasn't a very good football coach. With Marcus Freeman, it's yes, he's a good man, and that matters. I, I think there's a there's a level of buy-in with him where there, where you want him to be successful if you're Notre Dame because he's such a great representative of the institution. And you know, you know, when Marcus Freeman is speaking at this engagement or at that engagement, representing the university, you're going to feel like, hey, this is us as an institution putting our best foot forward when people like him are speaking. And people like him are, are are out in public talking about you know being part of the Notre Dame family, but at the same time there has to be a level of football buy-in as well, Ryan. And I think that's a big part of it. Also, is there is a buy-in that we believe he has a plan, we believe that plan can work, so we're going to do what we feel we need to do and what what to a degree what he's asking us to do. Because Marcus Freeman's not getting everything he's asking for. I mean, there's sure. some give and take to it. But we're going to we're going to financially back him. We're going to make that financial investment because we believe not just in that he's a good person, because it's a bad. I mean, if you have a a, a, a financial advisor, Ryan, who's just the sweetest, nicest guy in the world, but he's not a good financial advisor, you're not going to trust him to run your family's finance. You know, you're not going to trust your family's financial future to him. They do believe in that he has the chops also from a football standpoint. And and there's not going to be a scenario where if he doesn't make it, it's not going to be because the school didn't support him. And that's what it comes down to. So that so, yes, he is a good, decent man. That's something that is appreciated and respected by people at Notre Dame. It's it's part of the buy in. But I truly believe you can't separate the football part either. I do think there's a lot of faith that the plan he's got put in place, his ability to acquire talent. All of those things is a much better investment than maybe the same amount of dollars might have been into Brian Kelly. But we also can't ignore the fact that this isn't just a, well, we didn't believe in Brian Kelly. We do believe in Marcus Freeman. We can't ignore the fact that Notre Dame did just sign an extension to their TV deal. They did just sign a new apparel deal. There's more money to spend now, significantly more money to spend now. That can't be ignored either. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Well, I, I would say this too, and and I could be, I could be speculating here, but I was a, I was a fan that didn't have a choice to be a Notre Dame fan because my father was one, right? And then there's other people that don't have a choice because they have family ties to Notre Dame. They themselves went to Notre Dame, so they have the ties that way. But there were a lot of fans because Notre Dame is a national and global brand that they are fans of Notre Dame not just because of the amount of national championships they've won in their history, not just because of the Heisman Trophy winners, not just because of all the NFL players they've been able to develop over the years, over a long historic program. But I think it's also, Brian, that Notre Dame does it a very admirable way. You know, like it, it, there's a, you know, n- nothing's perfect, but I think for a general sense, Notre Dame does it the right way. You know, like they are a program that is built off of academics, High, high, high-end athletics, and also just trying to be morally as sound as possible. Are you always going to be 100% morally sound? Of course not. Nobody is. No no entity is. Let's be honest with ourselves. But I think that for the most part, when you compare it to a lot of other programs, a lot of programs will sell their soul to win, right? They'll just sell it. I mean, how many jobs has Urban Meyer had at this point, right? Where you're just like, that team sold their soul. And hey, that's their prerogative. That's their message. That's what they wanted to do. I, I, I'm fine with it. But when Notre Dame is a, they're a entity that needs a leader at the helm, right? They need a guy that understands every part of it. It's not just about selling your soul for Notre Dame. It's about doing it a right way. And I think that that's why you admire, Iden, my opinion. This is why I think that you admire Marcus Freeman, because he is all the things that you talked about, right? He's a He's a person that has a very good resume in the sense of high-level football player, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, was disrupted due to injuries, obviously, was a great defensive coordinator for multiple teams on the college ranks, and is now the head coach of the University of Notre Dame. I mean, that's a great resume to build off of, obviously, at, what, 37 years old or whatever the heck he is now? I mean, he's still a super young guy. But ultimately, it's the part of the coin that you're talking about is what type of person is he, right? And and every time I hear Coach Freeman talk, including this interview and every media availability he's ever had, every podcast he's ever been on. He is comes off as a very authentic person to me. Some guys are super rehearsed and you can tell they talk the talk, but in the end, or do they walk what they're speaking about every single day? And I, I buy it for Marcus Freeman. Again, I know that there's no person that is morally completely sound and does everything the right way all the time. But Marcus Freeman, I think what he talks about and what he preaches on these types of availabilities, I think he believes it. I wholeheartedly believe that he he think he believes what he is pitching and what he is selling and what he's putting out there. And I think that he is a great spokesperson for the program. And I pray that he can win it. He can win the ultimate prize because if he can, then you're talking about a a beacon of of sustainability for Notre Dame. Talk about a beacon. He's a beacon of hope right now, right? Like he makes you believe and he makes you hope. But if he's able to win something and win a national championship, then he becomes a beacon of sustainability. That's when programs around the country are like, oh, snap, we right. are in trouble yeah. here, folks, because he just won it the right way. And if he's able right. to showcase that he can do that, you're in a little bit of trouble nationally. Ryan, that was why the finish to the season was so important. And we talked about it on our show right after the Clemson game that these next this next month is going to be sort of a it's a turning point in Notre Dame history. In, in that there's no way to salvage this season from a it was a great season. It was a everything you thought it could be season. But if you don't win, you start to, the doubt start to really rise 
okay, great guy. All the things you said are true, but I got questions if the guy can coach football or not. Right. right. So if you go out there and drop one of those last two, or if you lose the bowl game, or what are those other type? Oh, those other type of things, then you say, yeah, great guy. But you don't you don't win football games by just being a great guy. You've got to be that, but you've got to be you've got to have the chops as a football coach. Because as yep. I've said, Ty Willingham, you know, grad hundred percent graduation rate and kids didn't get in trouble and all that stuff, did that stuff the right way, but he couldn't coach his coaches way out of a wet paper bag. So sure. you had to make that move. And the way that they finished was so important with the two blowouts in the regular season and then a blowout in the bowl game because the momentum is back now. We can all look back at the season and say, yeah, that was disappointing. That was a missed opportunity, but it was still a step in the right direction to your to your point. It kind of it now, but it now it's kind of you at some point in time, very, very soon, you've got to kick down that door and show that you can be that top program. It doesn't necessarily mean win a championship this year, but you've got to show that you can make that kind of that big year three jump that all the great coaches have made. I, I, I hesitate to say you've got to win a title like all those coaches did because I don't think that's it's different era, it's different time. But but they all made those big jumps for specific reasons, which we've talked about in past shows, and I re- wrote an article about. And so to me, uh, you know that that to me that's the way I look at it is is you've got to start showing that, and that's why that end of that season was so important because there's so much more momentum now. I would say I wouldn't say so momentum as much positive vibes now where it's like okay yeah this season wasn't what we hoped it would be but you ended it the right way then you go out and make the staff hires and now it's time to say okay now do something with it it's time to do something with it and and um gonna have to i i would say this too brian is that it was a you know we we all lived through the bob davy and ty willingham era right where because one thing that you said that i think is fascinating is that we know that obviously Urban Meyer was an assistant coach under Bob Davey, right? And when you're talking about the parallel, when you're talking about what you just said about Tyron Willingham in the sense of he was a great person and spokesperson mm-hmm. from being a man perspective, and you contrast it with just on the previous staff, there was a, a young assistant coach named Urban Meyer, right, who was the exact opposite. Urban Meyer was not a great spokesperson from a doing everything right way, but he was the ultimate competitor. I've talked to a former a former player at Notre Dame that was coached under Urban Meyer, and they hated him. They hated his guts. They did not like him as a person, but they all respected him, right? Because he understood the competitive side of things and how to get things out of people. And it, it's just a fun parallel between two former Notre Dame coaches, although one an assistant and one a head coach, because I think you need to bridge the gap between those two at Notre Dame, right? Like Urban Meyer cannot be Urban Meyer at Notre Dame. He has to be different. The coach at Notre Dame has to be different than that. You need parts of what made Tyron Willingham an attractive person, attractive spokesperson of a program, and what made Urban Meyer, a former Notre Dame assistant, a really good coach in the sense of he was competitive. Yes, he was a prick, but he was going to do whatever it took at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and he knew how to build a team, right? Like you can, yes. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. You know, I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to solve this advanced math problem, but I have no concept of how to do it. I can have right. all the willingness in the world. You are absolutely correct, Ryan. You've got to have that drive. And yep. the great ones have that drive, but they also are really, really smart guys and know how to prepare a team to go out and win week after week after week. And that's yep. something that Coach Freeman still has to prove. But sure. we've seen steps in the right direction. But uh, at the end of the day, as you said, the, it's like we were talking to 
one of the things about Marcus Freeman that, that we were discussing and, and some people took it the wrong way and we ended up having a quality conversation on the board about it. But, you know, one of the traits is you don't ever hear Urban Meyer making excuses. You don't ever hear Nick Saban making excuses. There's a lot of foundational characteristics that Marcus Freeman possesses. Not an excuse maker. Has some fire and some passion. He's aggressive. He's a worker. He has a plan. All those things are there. Now we just got to see if he's if he's just a good football coach which I think he's already established he's a good football coach. Now we got to find out, is he an elite football coach? He's an elite you know, a coach when it comes to talent acquisition, but he's an elite football coach. We're going to start to find that out over these next couple of years. I'm optimistic because, I, I again, yeah. you're seeing some some coaches showing that, putting their careers on the line with him. You know, Mike Denbrock basically is like, if this move doesn't work out for Mike Denbrock, he, he, you know, the ends. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. Exactly. Same with Al Golden. I mean, Al Golden has certain aspirations. Mike Mickens has aspirations. Dylan McCullough has aspirations. These guys are yep. putting their faith in Marcus Freeman. That's Th- that says a lot. That's, that, that's why I was very, I was very not surprised. I, it was interesting that Al Golden had signed a four year contract because I'm like, right. that's a, it's a good amount of time in the college football landscape when you're 50 plus year old coach. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're kind of running out of time. I mean, it's not like he's, you know, going to retire over the next couple of years, but like this is one of his final jobs in the coaching realm potentially. Right. And if you did want to get back to the NFL and be a DC or, you know, be a, a head coach in college football again, I mean, you are kind of limiting your window as far as being able to achieve that. So yeah, there's definitely buy-in man. Like they're, Coach Denbrock would not have spurned LSU and his relationship with Brian Kelly. I know he got paid and everything, but like he would not have just made that move willy-nilly at his age. Al Gold would not have signed a four-year contract. There's obviously belief in Marcus Freeman. Right. Now, you, Marcus Freeman needs to profit on that now, right? And be like, right. yep, you guys were very smart to follow my lead and trust Correct. me. That needs to be the there's next step. There's a lot of people investing. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I'm sorry, Ryan, I mean to cut you off, man. Oh, no, there's fine. a lot of people investing in Marcus Freeman. Yep. And... There's a and it's people that are around him daily. That's where it matters most to me. It's not us as fans. Irish breakdown. Yeah. We're all in on Marcus Freeman because of whatever, right? We're talking about people that are around him daily, that see the the way he has gone about it, that have seen the growth he has made in two years. Those things matter to me, and and yeah. some of them I I know I, I know them well, and I know that they would not be doing that if it wasn't for that belief in him. And and right. that's something that uh, you, you got to be excited about. Let, let, let's keep on moving. That's a great, great kickoff question, Iden. Great kickoff question. That we spent 16 minutes on. Congratulations, yes. the man. Great kickoff question. Erica Cypher with the super chat. Thank you so much, Erica. Very appreciated. Do you catch either game, uh, um, either game of the men's lacrosse yesterday or the baseball's game against Rice? Drake Bowen and Jordan Faison balled out. I'm assuming neither will be available for the spring game. Uh, Brian, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure you probably know a little bit more about the spring availability, but I did get a chance to watch just the highlights of lacrosse the first two games. I think Faison scored five goals in the first two games, yeah. right? If, I, if I'm not mistaken. So he's been on, and obviously Drake had that great, you know, that run second from second base all the way home, great slide into home for a big, um, it, it, it was the, deciding run in the end right because it ended i forget what the final score was i think it was like 10 to 7 was the final right of that game no, or actually, 13, no, it was like 11 or something like that 13 right, yeah. 10 yeah it they were down big they were down like 8 4 yeah and then route about uh, uh battled back drake had that big run and then um tito yep. flores broke it open in the ninth with the grand slam they were up they had taken a 9-4 lead and he hits a grand slam make it 13 mm-hmm. 9 
Rice got one back in the tent and then mm-hmm. bottom of the ninth, and then they closed it out. Yeah. That was a. Uh... Yeah, good to see Drake doing some good things, man. I, yeah. I I don't really follow college baseball. I mean, I I follow it usually around you know the tournament time, especially last year. I watched a lot of like Wake Forest and LSU and all those teams. But Rice has traditionally been a power. I don't know if they're very they, good. They've this been year, down a lot. The they were, yeah. I don't know how they're going to be this year, Ryan. They were down last yeah. year, but to your point, like I think it was like oh, you're watching the game and like oh four, they've got like two thousand four national champs on their wall. You know what I mean? Like so, yes, Rice has been a good be a power in the past. Yeah. Yep. But look at this time of the year, going on the road against a. Uh, even a, a a mediocre team and getting a sweep in in series one is pretty good. They did it mostly with the arms on for game one, a little bit of mixture of both on game two, and then it was all bats in game three, man. <laughs> you know, giving up ten, but it was cool to see. That was Drake's first appearance too. The catcher had, uh, I think yeah, the catcher doubled, and they brought Drake in to pinch run, and he wasn't even a third when the left fielder fielded the ball, and there was like that slight hitch you know at the top at, on his throw but drake was moving i mean he was I'm, I'm, absolutely moving. it's i'll say this about drake drake i know is a great baseball player and he's great in both sports but he definitely looks more now like a football player that's playing baseball man. yes he's yes. filled out to say the least yeah. <laughs> like yes big guy. yes Somebody said that they have a hard time watching college baseball. I actually really like college baseball because it's more I like, like the baseball. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I like college baseball, Ryan, because for me, it's more like the game of baseball I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. You know, just the era I grew up was not this walk, strikeout, home run era that we have in Major League Baseball now. It was, I mean, you bunt in college baseball. You steal bases in college baseball. You hit behind the runner in college baseball. And it's not that it's better or worse. Just for me, it's the, it's the, it's the type I prefer. So I yeah. rather enjoyed it, and they've they've got different bats now, so you don't still get the you don't get the same ping that you used to, which I is kind of a bummer. But yeah, I've, I've always I've always liked college baseball, and it's it's I watch it more now than I than I than I do major league baseball by a ton. Do you know um, yeah. to Erica's second part of her question? Do you know spring game availability? That I don't like know. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's a given that they're not going to play. Let me just check the lacrosse and, and uh, baseball schedule because my understanding is that um, is that George that that Drake has made it clear that football is still going to be his number one priority. And if he's okay. unless it's a travel game, he still plans on being at uh, baseball baseball things. Now I would imagine that Jordan Faison will not be available. I'm looking at their schedule now. They have a home game against North Carolina at 11:30. So I would assume that Drake that that uh, Jordan will not be available for that. Let me check the baseball schedule because because Drake's obviously you know he's his only appearance so far has been a pinch running situation. Jordan has, sure. as you said, Ryan has shown he's himself to be yeah. he's a pretty important part of that lacrosse. And in fairness, I mean, you know, that's what he was initially recruited to do. They do have yes. a game at home at two o'clock. I don't know if Drake what Drake will do. With that one, I have to try to. I'll have to ask. Actually, I'm going to ask that one right now and see if I can get an answer before the show's over. Do, so, we'll, do we'll, you remember? We'll um, do you remember? I, I used to think it was pronounced John Reese Plumley, but apparently it's John Rice Plumley is actually how you really pronounce it, okay. which is hilarious. Yeah. But he, so I don't know if you ever saw the video, but he literally played in a baseball game for UCF last season, left at like in the middle innings or something like that to make it at halftime to the spring game and played in the second half yeah. of the spring game. Like wild, man. Wow. I just am really curious to see how Drake is going to evaluate this one because Jordan and Jordan yeah. and Drake have to look at this completely differently. Yeah. Um, so I was just told that Drake does not plan on missing anything football related. 
So if it comes down to the two, then that means he's going to play football, which for Drake is different than like if I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm going to say to Jordan Faison, hey, dude, we know who you are, right? Yeah. The lacrosse team needs you, right? You're, you're good. Because if you're Marcus Freeman, that's a chance for you to get K.K. Smith some extra. I mean, you know who Jordan Faison mm-hmm. is. You, you, he, he doesn't have to prove anything. Drake's in a little bit of a different situation. You know, Drake's battling for a job. Jordan's going to play whether he's a starting slot or backup slot. Jordan's still going to play a bunch. Right. And again, Drake was recruited here to play baseball. Football is his number, or, or excuse me, Drake is recruited here to play football. Baseball is his number two. Jordan was recruited in Notre Dame to play lacrosse. Football is supposed to be his number two. And right. he's dependent on a lot more. So, um, but there you have, you have, you have I, your answer. So. I, I don't know. I don't know how college lacrosse is either. I don't know if I'm assuming there's like freshman all Americans and stuff, but like five goals in the first two games, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, start. it's pretty good. Pretty good start. Yeah. Well, for the defending champs, that's the other thing too. Yes. I mean, it's for the defending champs, which is awesome. And at both the Kavanaugh's back too. So it's not like there's a yeah. empty cupboard there. You know what I mean? Like there's still yeah. pretty dang good teams. I, I didn't so. get a chance to watch either game, but I'll be watching more yeah. lacrosse games this year. It's no doubt. It's a very interesting sport. Yep. We had Tom oh, Powell in the Super Chat. And yes. as Notre Dame, did you see that that Notre Dame's women's lacrosse team, I think it was last week, to beat the number one team. I think it was uh, Northwestern. Yeah. It's the program's first. I mean, Notre Dame's, I think, top 10 in women's lacrosse. So it's not like they're – Okay. You know, but they beat the first win over a number one team ever last week. They beat Northwestern, who's ranked number one. So, so yeah, it's a good – right now it's a pretty good time of the year for spring sports at Notre Dame. <laughs> they're off to a pretty oh. good start so far, no doubt. I'm just impressed that Northwestern's good at something. That's crazy. I know, right? <laughs> well played, right? Well Tom Cotter. Tom Cotter. Ryan. Ryan. It's my understanding that what was this? Wait. Coordinators. Cor- oh, coordinators. I'm sorry. My apologies, Tom. Right. It's my understanding that coordinators here are paid by alumni. Who controls the amount paid and length of the contract? So it's not no, they don't they don't pay the salaries. What they do is they give a certain amount of money towards that position to kind of have their name associated with it. Uh, There might be some that pay the entire amount, but I don't believe they pay the entire amount. There's a threshold, I believe, and I could look into that more, but I I don't believe that they do that. And then also those people to put their name on it have nothing to do with who gets hired. I'm a hundred percent positive of that one. That decision is made by the athletic director. And then when it comes to coordinators and football coaches, the head football coach, the head football coach can say, Hey, this is my guy. We got to make this happen. But the person negotiating the contract is, is the athletic director with the football coach understanding this is your pool for assistant coaches. And if you want to go beyond that, then you got to go talk to people and, and, you know, express why. So Notre Dame spent well beyond its normal pool for coaches this off season. Like, so so what that means is they've raised the bar for what the pool is. So and what I mean by that is most schools will tell a football coach, hey, you've got, you know, five million to spend on your staff, you know, assistant yep. coaches, analysts, GAs, that kind of stuff, or three million or eight million or whatever. And then you got to figure out as the as the head football coach, okay, where do I want to allocate my funds? I'm gonna go hire me a really young running backs coach that I can basically pay a minimum amount for because I need to put that other money towards making sure that I don't get my stud DB coach poached or my stud quarterbacks coach poached or my stud online coach poached or whatever the case may be. And so you have to make some of those decisions. But right now, Notre Dame is stepping up to the plate with Marcus Freeman saying, Hey, this is what you want. This is what you need. We're going to get it for you. And that's, that's huge, Ryan. Absolutely huge. 
Because it's not even just the coordinators either. You know, you had to you know pay up to keep Al Golden. You had to pay up to get Mike Denbrock. It's also just like Dylan McCullough getting the yeah. you know the the jump to associate head coach. It's like that, which that comes a pay with a pay raise, raise. My friends. Yes, yeah, exactly. it does. Yeah, and we have a question about that as well. I know for I'm I'm pretty confident that Mike Mickens has already been given a pay raise this offseason. I wouldn't be shocked yeah. if he gets another one now that he's taken over the entire secondary. Uh, that mm-hmm. would shock me as well. I, I I wouldn't be shocked if Al Washington got a little bit of a bump, you know, with some of the interest that he's gotten this offseason. And and again, the, the bump comes because who are the people getting paid? People that did a great job. I mean, Dylan McCullough has done a s- exceptional job Stellar. his yeah. two years. Yeah. Mike Mickens is, is proven to be one of the very best, if not the best, cornerbacks coach in all of college football. Al Golden had a top five defense last year. So yep. you do the job, you're going to get paid. That's what it comes down to. And uh, it's good to keep those guys around as much as possible. And and just to reiterate, too, the one coach they did lose, um, the two coaches they lost, I should say, one got a promotion that clearly he wasn't going to get in Notre Dame because he's not going to be the head football coach. And the other one, you know, it wasn't wasn't about money. We've said this before. O'Leary leaving wasn't about money. It wasn't wasn't him getting offered a job and him going to Notre Dame saying, hey, you know, pay me or I'm leaving. It was the NFL was kind of his dream. That's where he wanted to go. And the Chargers mm-hmm. situation was a good one for him. And that's why that's why he's had generated NFL interest for what two straight off seasons now, right? So that's a right. goal he had in mind. And because what have we said all him. along, Ryan? The the only question we've ever had with O'Leary after he got hired was, can he recruit? There's never been a question about can this guy coach. I mean, that's one thing he's proven from even before he was a full time coach. We heard people yep. raving about him back in 2020 when he was coaching the the Rovers. During general, right. I mean, the kid, the guy's basically been an on-field coach for four years, and in those four years, he's coached three consensus or unanimous All-Americans, two unanimous All-Americans, and one consistent consensus All-American. That guy's got a phenomenal resume, and the yep. fact that so many Notre Dame fans were just like, ah, whatever, let him go, says how much we over-obsess on recruiting. Because think about it. Four years in assistant. Look, I, I I felt I had a good track record, Ryan. My first five years as a coach, I coached two All-Americans and see one, uh, two, three, four, six all-conference players in five years. This dude in four years has two unanimous All-Americans and one consensus All-American. At two different positions, too, man. Which That's is, yeah. pretty freaking yeah. good. <laughs> You know yep. what I mean? Yep. Like the I can it coach. Is. Now he had great players to work with, but sure. you still got to do a good job of getting those guys ready to play. That's the whole thing. Right. Like none of my all Americans that I coach were bums that I'm such a great coach. I turned them into dudes. It's like, look, you've got talent. You get this ball of clay. Now go do something with it. And he's able right. to do something with it, which is important. I, I did. I did selfishly want to see him coach that 2025 potential yes. safety class because then yes. he would have some elite talents to work yes. with. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. All right. We had another super chat from Jay Clampett Investments. Thank you so much. Hey, first, thank you, all IB members, for the thoughts and well wishes for the loss of my dog. Question, not a negative, but are you a bit surprised by the takes we have committed at wide receiver versus what still is out there? So Ryan, there was a couple questions about this, so let's just get into it. And and we'll dive into the Sean Carey commitment more specifically. We'll do the full breakdown tonight. Vince and I are actually going to be together tonight at six o'clock talking about the Sean Terry uh, commitment. And, and so I, I'm not surprised 
nor do I have a problem with. I'll just say what I think, Ryan. You can say what you sure. think, agree, disagree, whatever. Yep. I don't have a problem with either of the two takes. Like I like I like Elijah Burris more than Ryan does. Ryan likes Sean Terry a little bit more than I do. I believe yep. I'm speaking correctly. We we both like both players. There's no issue with both players that they're adding skill sets they need. I think the the boat that people are missing a little bit with Sean Terry is that no, he's not a top 100 player and he's not this, he's, he's not that, but he has a very unique niche skill set that yeah. Notre Dame needs more of and really doesn't really have much of on the roster right now. And, and so you need that because when this kid shows up, Jordan Faison's going to be a junior. KK Smith's going to be a junior. And, and so I'm uh, not every kid is meant to be Michael Floyd or Golden Tate. You just had a two-year stretch in which you landed, even just the guys on still left on the team, Jaden Greathouse, Jordan Faison, K.K. Smith, Cam Williams, Micah Gilbert, and Logan Saldate. They're at the point now where, yes, you need to maximize the talent, but you also need to be thinking about what types of receivers do we need more of. There's not a lot of Elijah Burris' skill set on the roster, that top-level route runner, space maker with his route running and quickness. And so they're looking to add specific traits. Now, we could debate should they have waited to see where things went with Lex Cyrus or, I mean, whatever the case may be. I think we both like Lex probably more than Sean. But at the same time, you got a good football player in a state you want to recruit in who has offers from Oregon, Penn State, Michigan, USC, Missouri, Tennessee, Oklahoma. I don't know if I said Oregon or not yet, but Oregon. You did, yeah. Like, clearly people see something in this kid. Because they see that niche. And the other thing, too, Ryan, he's a dynamic returner. And, yes. and that trait probably more than any other translates right now to college football. What I think is happening is every time they load, a, they get another receiver, people just automatically go to the thought that they're, they're also going to take Jerome Bettis Jr. at some point in time. That is and it, I think dude. that's the fear. But right. that's not fair to the guys they're Good getting. Damn. Sure. Right. Yep. And Sean Terry fills a role that they needed to fill in this class that they wanted to fill in this class. You you are not somebody asked this question. Are you are you passing on Dalen McCutcheon to take Sean Terry? No, you're not. You passed on Dalen McCutcheon to take Elijah Burris. Different conversation. You're basically yep. passing on Lex Cyrus to take Sean Terry, which I'm okay with because as much I'm as okay I love Lex too, Cyrus, man. I don't know if you're gonna get Lex Cyrus. So then you run the risk of well, we're probably not going to get him. So, but if we wait, then we're not going to get him or Sean Terry. And you needed that skill set. So, I'm not surprised by either takes. And 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 I understand where a lot of this comes from. I have my concerns about Jerome Bettis Jr. as well. Brian Smith saw him in a camp this weekend. He said he was better than he saw him before, but he's still not that kind of that top level guy. And that's okay. I mean. It's really going to come down to, for me, Ryan, is what you do in that number four spot. And then also with the understanding of, of what you and I have been told, Ryan, by our sources is, look, if they get Jerome Bettis Jr. and they get Derek Meadows, which I don't think Derek Meadows is close to the given to Notre Dame that a lot of people seem to think that he is. And he wasn't a given to pick Notre Dame, Sean Ryan, before Alabama and Georgia and all these other schools offered him. People are just looking at a crystal ball and they're just assuming right. it's a done deal. But, yeah, it's not. And it's definitely not. But yeah. I don't, from what I understand, if they get the guys they want and s some studs are still out there, 
they're not going to stop recruiting those studs. They, they technically met their needs at defensive end well before they started making a hard push at at Damian Shanklin. I mean, right. they met their they came into this recruiting cycle looking for two safeties. They got them. But they haven't stopped recruiting Jadon Blair. Why? Because they're saying you can't not go still after Jadon Blair. This staff right. is being very aggressive. And yes, four is the number. But my understanding is if they get to four and there's still some stud receivers out there, they're not going to stop recruiting those guys. That's just the reality. That's the thing that we also have to take into consideration. This is why they're not bringing in a fourth offensive lineman right now. This is why they're not bringing in a second tight end in right now. This is why they're cert- making certain sacrifices at certain positions because they want to load up at these positions that are pretty strong nationally. It's a great safety class. Take advantage. It's a great corner class. Take advantage. You yeah. know, it's a pretty deep receiver class. Take advantage. And that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, individually, because I agree with you, and and I'd be lying to everyone if I said that it at least didn't cross my mind at all as far as you you might have two receivers in the class, but you know that there's technically a third because unless, barring something weird happening during the course of the the end of this recruitment, I do anticipate Notre Dame landing Jerome Bettis Jr. I do. I do. But I think that has soured some people. I, I will say and this is complete honesty, people have seen my takes on this show about the two wide receivers already, or at least on the message board. I just did a film breakdown at BoarsIrishBreakdown.com on Sean Terry, actually. I like the Sean Terry take. I truly do. I don't think there's enough of what Sean Terry does on the Notre Dame roster right now, and I don't think on the board there was many players at all that can do a lot of the things Sean Terry can do. I, I don't. I think as a slot, gadget, punt returner, he brings a dynamic that you don't have much of at all. And I don't think there was much of it on the board either. So I was completely fine with the Sean Terry take. Me and Brian talked about that one yesterday. I'm like, I I like him as a player. I like him. It's cool. I'm good. Because you need to evaluate him differently than you evaluate Derek Meadows and Taylor Taylor and some of the other guys because it's just not the role he's going to play. Like, you need to understand that this kid is not going to be a hunter catch a season kid and be a, you know, you know, you're not receiver recruiting more than likely. Him to do that. Yeah, right. He's going to be a more than likely a secondary pass catcher that specializes in when you get the football in his hands. He's going to he's going to make something small into something big potentially at times. He's going to create hidden yardage. He's going to be a yak threat. I am totally fine with Sean Terry. The only reason that I wasn't as high on Elijah Burris is because honestly, it was that with Jerome Bettis in the class. You have to limit your numbers a little bit as far as if you're only getting the four, that means you can only take one of the other talented receivers that are on the board when Jerome Bettis commits to Notre Dame, if he does choose Notre Dame ultimately. And for me, I personally would have, in that scenario, maybe waited on Elijah a little bit. Because if you told me today, if you told me the wide receiver class is a four-man class of, let's just say, Derek Meadows, Sean Terry, and let's say one other good receiver and Elijah Burris, I'm good, man. Let's yeah, say Taylor Taylor is an example. Let's use right, him as an sure. example. Yes, yeah, yeah. I have no problem with Elijah Burris being in the class. The only issue that I had is that I believe that we, when we're talking about the numbers battle is that I think that you limited yourself basically to take another good receiver. I think that there's been some flaws in the recruiting of wide receivers in this class. Full transparency. I think that they cooled on Cooper Perry way too early. I think that their their evaluation potentially of Dalen McCutcheon is off compared to what I believe. I believe that they're off. Agreed. But ultimately, do I think Elijah Burris is a good player and can help Notre Dame? Yeah, I do. Do I think Sean Terry could bring something to Notre Dame that they haven't had enough of? 
Yes, I do. So I'm not necessarily against the take. It's just the, I guess, the process of wide receiver recruiting as a whole, I think had some flaws in the process a little bit. That's just kind of my opinion on it. That I agree with. So like, Ryan, one thing you and I don't have the same opinion on Elijah Burris, which in, in yours is totally fair. Mine is he's a definite take for me now because I just graded and evaluated him higher, right? And that's where a lot of this has to come down to for what I would say to all of you is is watch the film, evaluate the player, and then say, can this guy help Notre Dame or not? And and yep. and not look at the stars and this and the other and stop projecting onto these players your feelings about another player at this point in time. But at the same time, Ryan, I do think – Sometimes you can get to the right – you can get to – you can say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to the mall, and you could take a wild, weird, wild, like, backwards and just, like, it took you twice as long to get there. But as long as you still get there, you get there. That's why how they finish is going to be so important. But at the end of the day, even if they finish well, I'm going to look back on this class and say it was just weird how they got there because of their value. Yeah. I, look – Cooper Perry is a different animal than Dalen McCutcheon because I believe the previous wide receivers coach cooled on him so early that by the time the new guy came in, it was like, you like other guys as well. Do you really want to invest in going? I understand that one. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I think the previous receivers coach should have been vetoed. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Dalen McCutcheon one doesn't make any sense for me because that's an entirely on the new staff watching him and saying, hey, you know, I, I I have to think maybe there's some questions about his speed, but all I know is the kid's film is outstanding. But that's going to yeah. be part of the process. There's going to be times when you don't like the evaluation and, and receiver is just some strange evaluations. At the end of the day, if they get where they need to get to, but but I think the thing that people are missing about this class, Ryan, is all those things being true, they are looking for a specific types in this class that you have to be thinking about when evaluating some of these players. I don't, I don't count Jerome Bettis Jr. in that category. I'm more referring to Elijah Burris, the Sean Terry's, the players like that. There's a reason why they went after Lex Cyrus and Sean Terry and offered them about the, or didn't all, I shouldn't say off. Yeah. Offered them, but yeah, got on them about the same time. It's yeah. because the new coach came in, the new OC came in and said, Hey, we need more of this. Right. Let's go find this. And that's why those kids, that's why it was those two. It was like Nas Newkirk. There was a lot of guys that were, you looked at them and said, these guys all kind of do certain things. They're either stretch the field guys or they're after the catch guys. Yeah. And it was very obvious that they were looking for that kind of player. And and why? Because the current roster doesn't have a lot of it. You know, one you have really two players that fit that bill. One of them is a lacrosse player. The other one's a, a redshirt freshman coming off of a major shoulder injury. Right? You need more of it. And that's what they're trying to add. And and so I, I understand it, even though, like you said, Ryan, some of the evaluations I have a problem with, I don't have a problem with the first two evaluations. That's not my issue. My issue is maybe what comes next. I don't hold Derek yeah. Meadows in quite the same, like, no-brainer, take-over-everyone-else type of thing that I think the staff does. But I get it. You know, I, well, I, I think it. I think you need that. I think you need that skill set, though, is is more than anything, right? Like you need the right. outside and the upside. length that can run. Like you need that. Who style on the roster has that, that right now, Ryan? Who has that right now the, on the roster? De- Deion Colsey. I mean, it's Who not many. Is going to be <laughs> probably gone by the time Derek Meadows shows up, right? Right. right. Bo Collins, yep. who's going to be gone Maria. when Derek Meadows yep. shows up? 
Yeah, exactly. And so that's why I can say, even though I don't view him the same way that the staff does, I'm totally on board with him being a priority because again, as you said, you're betting on the upside and the, and the fit need. And, and that's the thing that I want to push back on too, Ryan, I'm hearing a lot as well. You guys got to understand that this staff has a chance, has to have their chance to prove that they can throw the ball. No, there's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's an excuse making because they have been loading up at wide receiver the last two years with offenses. Didn't throw the football. Yep. I I mean, you know, so, so yeah. Right. So stop making excuses for the, who the staff has gotten and just say, Hey, listen, this is who they like. They didn't settle on Sean Terry, guys. Because, again, if they wanted Dalen McCutcheon, I think they'd have a good shot of getting him. I'm not saying they would definitely get him. They'd I think they'd be a major player for him. Ish. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. the, Cooper Perry, I think, flat out, Ryan, and this is based on what you've told me, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think Cooper Perry comes to Notre Dame if they would have yeah. pushed for him. Oh, 100%. His, his father went to, I mean, his grandfather went to Notre Dame and Notre Dame was a dream school of his. Like it was, yeah, he was, he would have went That's to Notre Dame if they would have been a good football yeah. player. So yeah. they're not settling on Elijah Burris and Sean Terry. They like these kids a lot. We have to accept that right. as fans and say, we're going to find out if it was a smart take mm-hmm. for those two players or not. That's to be yeah. determined. But this isn't the staff settling. This isn't the staff missing on top targets and getting beat for top targets and having to go to plan B guys. These are plan A guys. We'll find out in the next three years if they were smart to bring these guys in, but we have to stop making yeah. excuses and, well, they're just doing this because of this, this, that. that that's not why they're taking these guys, right? They like these players. They yeah. view these as plan A players. And if you want to disagree with that evaluation, that's a different conversation. But we don't need to be making excuses for why – they want right. It's, it's that simple. They want those players and the skill sets they add. Yeah, and we'll find out and if they're I, right or wrong on that. I, I have no issue with them wanting those skill sets either. And also, I, I'll say this, guys: if Notre Dame would have landed Derek Meadows with the previous wide receiver coach, I would have had some hesitation as far as like what he would have became because it just coaching wasn't up to par. I would feel a whole lot more comfortable if if Notre Dame's able to get Derek Meadows. I like the proposition of him working with Mike Brown because I do think that he is a mm-hmm. coach that can get a lot out of that player. So, yeah, yes. we'll see. Agree. We'll see. Agree. This is an easy one, Ryan. I'll, I'll go ahead and ask this for you. Question is from okay. NC Notre Dame fan. Where does Notre Dame stand with number one, with David Sanders, the number one OT in the nation, North Carolina stand up? They, they stand at the bus stop while he's driving away and never coming back. Not the best way to put it, but I mean, they're just, look, I think there was. Actually, Ryan, that is not the best way to put it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Brian, like, I, I think in like an early interview, like he had talked about like wanting an offer from Notre Dame or something like that. Right. And like after that, it was like, that was the last you ever heard of Notre Dame, you know, like it just is what it is. So he didn't want to go to Notre Dame. He's not going to go to Notre Dame. He's a great player though, man. Like, maybe the best player in the class like he's that type of dude like he is phenomenal but yeah he's not going to Notre Dame but Notre Dame's doing pretty well in the offensive line trail so I'm not too worried about that we got Ida Manami says which Florida recruit is a bigger gap closer Dallas Golden or Nathaniel Owusu-Botang well I'll I'll give my answer first it's Dallas Golden for two reasons number one I just Dallas is a better player I evaluated Dallas higher they're both top 100 guys I view Nathaniel is a top 75-ish to 100 type of guy. 
I view Dallas as a 50 kind of guy. So just right there, that's yep. why he would be the bigger gap closer, number one. Number two, I also just don't think they get guys like Dallas Golden nearly as much as they get guys like Nathaniel Wusubotang. Not This is not an all to take away from Nathaniel. I think he's a heck of a football player. If he wanted to come tomorrow, I would be thrilled about it. But Notre Dame has a track record in recent seasons of recruiting some pretty darn linebackers. You know, Jalen Sneed, Josh Burham, who's now moved D-line, uh, Drake Bowen, Jaden Osbury, Kingston Iliama Asa. Landing guys like Dallas Golden are more rare. Landing, what I mean by that is a top 50 recruit nationally from Florida that's an elite skill player on the perimeter. It's not a position that Notre Dame has done great with in recent years. It's just as simple as that. So to me, uh, that's why he would be the bigger gap closer to me. Because I, I've said this before, Dallas Golden can start at all five secondary positions in my opinion. I, I think he's outstanding. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll find out, you know, where he's going to end up playing and, and it ends up picking the name. But I, I think, you know, I, I think he's um, he's a really, really good football player. Right. The issue is on my end. Got it. Okay. There's, just making sure it wasn't. For some me. reason, yeah. For some reason, like my signal has just dropped. Gotcha. For the okay. last couple of minutes. Okay. Yeah. You sound so a little my, bit in now. So I was just, I was just okay. I was making sure that it was not on my end. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me, I, I'm going to try and get this figured out, see if I can get it back going. But yeah, that's, that's the yeah. issue. Yep. No worries. So, yeah, I didn't, for me, I actually agree with Brian on this one. Actually, that sounded bad. It sounded like I was reluctant to it. <laughs> it's okay. Reason, but um, he's yeah, actually it was, right on this one. This it, idiot it was not, it was, right. it, it was not the intended tone of that, which was, yeah, I, I need to, I, my wife tells me I need to work on tone sometimes. So that tone was not appropriate in that sense. But for me, it's Dallas golden because of, I, I think Brian hit on one key part there is that Dallas golden is a rare athletes in the sense of, I think Nathaniel Wusu Botang is a potential superstar at linebacker. I think he's got big time upside. I think he has all the tools to be a difference maker. But Dallas Golden, but if that happens, Nathaniel Wusubotang is a playmaking will that makes a ton of tackles and a ton of plays in the backfield and is all over the field. Dallas Golden could literally play either corner spot, play into the boundary, could play to the field. He could play nickel. He's very physical. He could definitely play nickel. He He could play either safety spot, whether he's to the boundary, to the field. Heck, he could play wide receiver. He could play running back. I could throw him at Wildcat quarterback at times if I felt like it. That kid's the type of dynamic athlete that Notre Dame needs more of. Like, I, I know Notre Dame likes him as a corner, and I think that he could be a great corner. But I would not be opposed to, like, hey, my, Coach Mickens potentially coaching both safeties and corners. Like, hey, you need a safety a little bit more. Hey, Dallas, go play safety, brother. Like, go move around a little bit and be that dynamic player. I think that he brings – the versatility that I always, as an evaluator, I always gravitate towards that. For me, the more you can do at a high level, the more valuable you become ultimately. So yeah, Dallas Golden would be my answer as well, man. He is a, he's a dude. He's a dude. And you don't see guys like him as much anymore, Ryan. It used to be normal that you'd recruit these athletes. Like you'd recruit, Lou Holtz used to recruit six, seven running backs every class. I'm like, how the heck? Because you knew the, this guy plays corner. This guy plays safety. This guy plays linebacker. I mean, you just knew they were going to move over to other positions. Football has become far more specialized than it has been in the past. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, some of the kids that we're seeing are just corners or just receivers. Yep. Growing up would have been playing – they never would have come off the field. Mm-hmm. And and so when you have guys like 
what we've seen Xavier Watts and Dallas Golden and players like that. Like they add even more value because yeah. of, like you said, think about this, Ryan. Tell me if this is a nutty statement. Dallas Golden could start at seven different positions at Notre Dame and be a good football player to varying degrees. Field yep. corner, boundary corner, nickel, field safety, boundary safety, receiver, slot receiver, uh, running back. Yep. Now, he wouldn't be the same player at all those, but he could he could play at Notre Dame at yep. all those positions. Agreed. You just yep. you just don't find guys like that. I mean, you 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 saw a guy like that right in your neck of the woods not that long ago, Mika Fitzpatrick, who could yes. have been an offensive player in college if he wanted to. He could have been a great safety. I mean, he could do a lot of great. things. He was Brandon Wimbush's top target in, in yep. high school. So when you have guys like that, you, they, they become such a priority, and, and Dallas is a really special talent. And, and a fit for Notre Dame as a young man, too. I mean, that's the thing, too, is he's a really unique young man, and yep. you can understand why the two have hit it off so well in that regard. Well, and that's why I like a couple of the players Notre Dame is recruiting because they recruiting some kids that like athletically they can do a bunch of different things. I was talking to Sean about this, Brian, and I, I truly believe this. Devin Williams out of Buford, that kid could easily play slot receiver if you wanted him to. Yeah. Because I know for a yeah. fact, I've talked to Devin about this. Georgia is recruiting Devin Williams to play wide receiver on the next level, yeah. not to play corner. Like he's a big time wide receiver out of Buford as well. So yeah, man, I'm all for getting those kids. Ryan, that's why I would keep recruiting so many spots. Yes. If Notre Dame gets Dallas Golden and Mark Zachary, I would flat out keep recruiting Devin Williams if you could. Because yep. to your point, he can return kicks for you. He can play corner for you. He can play nickel for you. He can play receiver yep. for you. Absolutely. I would keep recruiting that kid. I don't know if you'll be able to get him, but 100%, 100% would keep recruiting that kid. He's done. He's a darn good football player, man. He's dynamite, man. Darn good football player. Yep. We had the history expert says Notre Dame has two wide receivers committed and Jerome Bettis is all but committed as well. Is there a scenario where Notre Dame signs five wide receivers in the 2025 class? I think so. I think so. Now, well, let me change. I don't think they're going to – if they get Meadows and Jerome Bettis Jr. as your next two receivers, I don't think they stop recruiting – the rest of the receiver cl- receiving class. I don't. But if they get a commitment from someone even better, it doesn't mean that all four guys in the class now would stay. That That's why I say it could be that. But, yes, I I think they will keep recruiting players, and I could see a scenario in which they recruit five receivers. Sign five receivers, yes. It's not the goal, but yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. We had John A1. What's up, John? Will the 2022 edge class make an impact on the 2024 team? Tyson Ford, Aiden Gabira, Joshua Burnham. Absolutely. Joshua Burnham definitely will. I mean, he's he's going to yeah. play a lot for Notre Dame. In he's got a shot to start, right? I mean, yep. He's got a shot to start this year for them. So, yes, I think so. And, and I think we, we, we will start. I think one of the other two will crack the rotation this year. I think one of Tyson Ford and Aiden Gobira. Aiden Kabira uh, was really growing fast right before he got injured. Yeah. Right? Wasn't he showing a lot of good signs? Yeah, because it was the, yeah. it was funny. Is that it was not funny, but ironic. Funny, ironic. The practice that we went to where he got hurt towards ACL, he was destroying the second team offensive line. I mean, he just and he was letting them know about it. It was kind of fun to watch. He was letting them know about it, but he was having a really good practice. And we had heard he'd had several coming into that point in time, and then of course he hurts his knee and it set everything off, which was or set everything back. Excuse me. So that obviously was disappointing, but yeah. Yep. 
it was uh, I, one of those two, I think. One of the forward or Gobert, I do think, will make some level of impact this year. But I think Josh Burnham's poised for a breakout year. I, I, I won't be at all shocked. Ryan, I want to get your immediate reaction to this. I'm going to say it, and then you respond to it. My prediction for my one prediction I have, one my one bold prediction I have for this team right now, the the big end position will be even more productive in 2024 than it was in 2023. Combined production, which was what 16 tackles for loss and eight sacks, yeah, this past year, I think this group is more productive from a disruptive number standpoint. They're definitely more athletic than last year's group. I mean, all due respect, like Javante Jean Baptiste was a very good player for Notre Dame, and Nana played his butt off every snap, right? But Joshua Burnham and RJ Oban, potentially, right? Like, they're a much more athletic duo than what you had in 2023. So I I can see that athletic upside to being more disruptive because I think they're just better athletes, potentially, yeah. in 2024. Well, and you saw it a little bit at the Senior Bowl, Ryan. Yep. Javante did a great year, but he just he when he's going up against top tackles, it's just a different level of athleticism yeah. that he lacks that other top he, ends have. He, he he worked against like Patrick Paul from Houston, who's not even a particularly great offensive tackle that was at the senior bowl, but it was just the length difference. It was just like, cause you know, Javante is good length. Like he's, you know, right around a 79 inch wingspan. Like he's, he's good length guy. But when you go against those guys that are really well above average, like you have to be a little bit of a twitchier athlete. You got to have a little bit more high end athleticism, be able to defeat that. And he struggled in that department. He did. He really did. I will say this too, Brian, I, Actually, I don't think I ever told you this, but I talked to a scout about R.J. Oban like a week ago because we were talking about Senior Bowl stuff or whatever because R.J. would have been at the Senior Bowl if he would have chose mm-hmm. to go to Senior Bowl. And the scout was shocked that he went back to school, man. Apparently, there were like some late day two grades on him. Like there's some wow. third round grades at NFL circles. Wow. And they're like, we well, had and no that's idea not what you were hearing last year, Ryan, about, <laughs> about Javante. That's not at what all. you were hearing. I mean, you can go back to what we were talking about this time last year and you're like, look, we 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 thought Javante had a chance to be the pass rusher he was at Notre Dame last year. He did five sacks, really good pressure guy. He was a better run defender than we thought. Kudos to the young man for working his butt off. Kudos to Al Washington for getting the most out of him. Kudos for Al Golden for scheming the system to play to his strengths. But you could even tell like he's not a guy that that your thought was. Hopefully, this can get him into day three. This wasn't all of a sudden a look at this hidden gem that's going to be a day two guy now, you know? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, and, and I could kind of see, I'm, I, I'd be surprised if he was a day two, if RJ was a day two guy based on his, his, his game so far at Duke's been kind of a one trick pony. I mean, just the way they used yeah. him was rush the quarterback and some other things, but you do see the, and you've talked about this, right? You do see a difference in, in just that, twitchiness that explosiveness yep. that ability to really yeah. fire off the ball off the line that rj has that javante just didn't have no. and 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 josh burnham has that as well so i think that duo could be really really good this year and and if jordan Patejo figures things out then i think the edge position could be really good but here's the thing if josh burnham and one of those two kids has a really good offseason and a good start to the t- 2024 season, and you get Bryce Young coming in, and Jordan Patelho and George, uh, Junior Chalamaka don't get better than they were last year, don't be shocked to see R.J. Oban be the one to go back over to Viper, not Josh Burnham. I could certainly see that next year. We're like, look, we're going to get these two kids on the field more because they're both better than what we have over there, Viper. It just, it, it, But that's the kind of options you want and need, Ryan. Hopefully that's not needed. 
hopefully Jordan Patelho and Junior Tillamaka make jumps this offseason. But if they don't, you're going to be fine because you're going to have more options now. Oh, I guess we're going to have to get more reps for Bryce Young now that we moved one of these two guys. Oh, bummer. You know, I guess we're going to have to try to get Tyson Ford or Aiden Gobira on the field more. That stinks, I say I'm with just, sarcasm I'm, oozing through my pores. I'm just dreaming of a sub package where hopefully I, – I, I would – I, I think that's very possible that Bryce Young's in the 250 plus range by the time the season starts, right? Because he's already up to 241 pounds. Like if he's 250 something, I would not be shocked. I am dreaming of a sub package where you bring Bryce Young in to rush against guards on obvious passing situations. <laughs> yes. where you're just like, okay, guys, have fun, yes. man. <laughs> have fun with that. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. He's a rip. It, that's the thing I noticed from some of the photos you sent me, Ryan. He's a really long kid. Like I and I saw that too. Crazy I mean, because when I saw him, but the two times I've seen him in person, he's had his hands in his pockets because right. it was cold. So I never got to see mm-hmm. him like extending. Extending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I yeah. could see the big shoulders and the big feet and the big head right. and like just the, the like this kid's gonna be two sixty five, two seventy, and look skinny. You know, when it's all said and done. But I couldn't yep. see that that reach. You sent me yeah. some clips when you were down in San Antonio and some photos where I'm like, yep, that kid is long, long. And he's lo- and he's loose too, man. Like he was cornering about as well as anybody there. Where I'm just like, that's not yeah. natural for a kid that's I mean, nobody really that's listed at six foot seven. I'm just like, oh my gosh, right. <laughs> that's insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. I mean, look, look, I don't know how Bryce Young's gonna develop, guys, but if if there is a kid in the 2024 recruiting class that I would call my early shot on them being a first round draft pick, Bryce Young might be number one. <laughs> like that might be my guy. I mean, yeah, Kirby would be in the conversation. Cam Williams would be in the conversation. But like if I had a number one and I had to pick just one guy, it would probably be Bryce Young because you don't see six, seven guys with length that corner the way that he does. Like yeah. that's it's different, man. It's different. That's it right there. Like I think Gerby yeah. is 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 I have Gerby ranked as if they all pan out, I have Gerby going higher just because I think he's got a chance to be a really elite tackle. But to your point, Ryan, if I had to say which one am I most confident will be that is is Bryce, because number one, I think Bryce still has a long way to go as a player, developing yeah. from a technical standpoint. And number sure. two, there's a lot of there's not a lot, there's guys like Gerby. There's guys, been guys like Gerby at Notre Dame. Yeah. Guys like Bryce are more rare. A 6'6 six, six plus kid, super long arms, twitchy athlete. You just don't see kids like that very often. He's he's a unique talent. We had a super chat from Garen Nutson. Thank you so much, Garen. What are some reasonable expectation goals for the offensive line performance the first three games of the season? Great show, y'all. So, First and foremost, Garrett, thank you so much. First three games of the season, so Army, Texas A&M, and then who's the third no, game of the our, season? Our Army's in November. Oh, my bad. My bad. I completely, yeah, yeah. Okay. So no, Texas no. A&M. There was talk about weeks. Army being week zero. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, they, yep. they're they they're later in the year. Yep. A&M, Northern Illinois, and Purdue would be the first okay. three. For me, Ryan, I only have one expectation for the first three games. Be physical. That's it. I, look. They're going to have some sloppiness early. They are. They're going to have some run-throughs they allow. They're going to give up a couple sacks they probably shouldn't have because they're a unit. Even though they played together in the bowl game and they had that month of prep, it's still a younger group learning to play together. And it's it's going to look kind of similar to what we saw uh, early in 2022, not the Ohio State game because that was just not a good performance. But just, you know, like we saw against like Marshall and Cal where there were some good moments, but they had to learn to play together. There's going to be some of that. Now, I hope that they can limit that, but there's going to be some 
okay, I, I don't know. I'm not going to expect them to be as dominant in games one, two, and three as they as they should be in nine, 10, 11, and 12. However, the thing that you should be able to do from day one is be physical. If your technique needs to catch up, if your timing needs to catch up, if your communication isn't on point by week one, two, and three, you know, where you're not, your timing on the inside zone's not quite as good. You know, you're leaving a little early. You're not leaving early enough, whatever. That stuff I expect. There's no excuse from the minute you put the pads on game one to not be physical. That's my expectation. Now, the development from there will be the thing that determines how good they're going to be. That'll improve week after week after week after week. But that's my expectation for the first three games, Ryan, is I want to see this team playing physical football, move your feet, drive, punish, finish. That's the stuff that we should see from week one. And then you can improve the other technical stuff, the cohesive stuff that happens through experience together. That'll come. But you don't need experience together to come off and say, I need to kick the crap out of this guy in front of me. That's a day one thing. That's a mentality thing for me. Yeah. When I think you're going to get tested very quickly against Texas A&M, because although they lost, you know, Walter Nolan and a couple of those defensive linemen, Overton, they also do bring back a couple very talented players. And they also got Nick Scourton from Purdue. Yeah. To I know you love that guy. Over, who is a dude. <laughs> so the guy's a very good yeah. player. So you are going to have, you're going to be forced. Well, not forced. You you have to choose to come out and be super competitive in that football game because if you yep. don't come out with some fire, you you're gonna get embarrassed against Texas. Yes. You are because they have enough talent yes. up front to make you look very bad if you do not come ready to play. I think from there, look, because you could you could play your B game or even your C game potentially against Northern Illinois and beat the you know what out of them, right. you know, physically, just physically. Right. But that's a game where you need to now start to see the cohesiveness begin to improve right what you know steps against in, uh, inside zone working combos to the second level understanding where your help is and certain pass protection opportunities like those things need to start getting ironed out in number two and then number three i think you're gonna get a big indication because i i know that a three-game stretch is still a limited sample size but i think game three against purdue after you've had a test against an sec level defensive line against a lower-level defensive line week number two. Number three, I think, against Purdue is where you start to see, like, okay, it's starting to click now, right? Like, it's starting to come together. Physically, they've been tested. Now, mentally, they're starting to put things together a little bit. And I think by game four, you're really going to see kind of this really round into force. But I think you're going to start to see the glimpses in game three as far as, like, what is the full season going to look like? Mm -hmm. You're going to start to get to see really good glimpses in game three against Purdue because that's going to be your second time playing against a power five right. opponents, power four opponent now, I guess. And to really start to see like what the gains you made in, in week two are power four and a sixth. Right. Yes. What, is that what we're kind of, well, right yeah. to your point, when did the offensive line of 2022 start to show that it was the second half against Cal week three, that yeah. that's when they started. And, and mm-hmm. that unit was overcoming a lot more than what this unit has to overcome. Right. I mean, this unit, yes. that unit was like learning how to play the game again after you know coach Easton took over from where they were before that's not the case yep. with what they're doing now so to your point yes by week three week four that's when we should really start to see those things i also wanted to say something else before we move on ryan from garrett nuts and garen said yep. uh, i was supposed to start at walter reed orders changed i guess the middle east missed me oh well i will miss the live sh- the uh, live shows for a while but god bless ib and youtube hey garen i um i'll definitely be praying for you man and we we always appreciate appreciate your support but more than that 
we thank you for your service, man, in, in so many different ways. So I really appreciate you. We'll miss you, but we'll be here when you get back, man. And uh, you know, sh- shoot Stay me safe. an email, and we'll we'll try to connect, and we'll see what we can do to to, to have you still be part of what we're doing here, man. So yeah, stay safe and, and thank you so much for your service. And, and we'll be back here when you get back, buddy. No doubt about it.